Um, the whole focus of this evening's um, teaching or message that you would uh, that we're going to share this evening is is entitled "Purposeful Praise." Purposeful praise. Um, I ask that we keep in mind that everything that I'm going to share this evening, we can't do anything. We cannot worship. We cannot praise God the way we ought to without the Holy Spirit. So I want us to keep that in mind. I want that to be the the undercurrent throughout everything that I share with you. I, I hope that we are able to see that, that we have a desperate need for the Holy Spirit. All right. Um, secondly, I want you to keep in mind that what I'm going to share with you this evening is in no way an exhaustive list of what it means to worship, what it means to praise. Um, so just keep that in mind. But I do hope that it would spur in every one of us a desire to study deeply what praise, what God's intention for praise is, why he gave us praise and what we can do with that. Okay. So not putting God in a box in any way, you know, so I want to make sure we don't do that. But when we think of worship and praise, specifically in the Western Hemisphere, in the, the, the Western portion of God's bride, the church, when we hear the words praise and worship, what automatically comes to mind? The singing we do when we get together and this amazing worship team pours their hearts out into praising and we pour our hearts out before God. Totally agree. But based on what we know, wouldn't you say that there are some other ways that we can worship and we can praise God? What would be some of those ways? Someone. Okay, offering. We can worship God by what we give. Does our offering just have to be money? No, it can be our time, our talents. Okay, what else? What's another way we can praise God? Dancing. Praise Him in the dance. I'm going to be honest, and, and I know you, I, I've listened to several messages and nobody wants to say anything about that church that they came out of, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and there was, that was hands off. And then when I actually came to a church where it was, you know, it was a, it was a non-denominational church in North Carolina and they were dancing, I was like, man, my feet want to move like that too. I feel it. I was like, is that okay? I'm looking around. Is that okay? It obviously is. Let's praise him. You know, so we can praise him in the dance. Anything else? Anything else? Talking to God. That communion with God. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I'm sorry? Most definitely. Clapping our hands. And that's one of the ones that I'm going to hit on. That, that yada. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's the extension, the raising of the hands toward God. And that's a symbol of thanksgiving. Yeah. Bowing before him. Most definitely. So there are many different things, and I, wanna, I want us to break out of that whole mentality when we hear praise and worship and we just think, and I'm not undermining what we do when we come together corporately. Phenomenal, and it moves things in the Spirit. I know that for certain. But I want us to really expand our understanding of how we can worship and how we can praise our God. You know, so that's the real focus, purposeful praise. And I hope that by the end of the time that I'm given to share with you, we're able to say there is one particular purpose for praise that, that I, I'm going to latch on to and I'm going to develop it as my life continues. All right, when you, if you were looking for just a definition, when people think of worship and given a breakdown of the two, worship is generally that surrender of one's self totally to God. Just like Sister Marilyn pointed out, that, that communion, that's that 
I am emptying myself and I am focusing totally on who you are. That's that, that's that definition if you were looking for a, a base definition. Remember, it's so much more than that. But it's that surrender of oneself, totally focusing on who God is. And when we think of praise, that's that celebration of what we know for certain. No one can take it away from us. We know for a fact that God has done something in my life or I've witnessed him do something in someone else's life. I think of, I can't think of his name, um, nephew maybe who broke his neck in the surf accident and not even three days later he's walking like when they told him he was going to be a paraplegic man I couldn't barely could sit in the seat I'm like what that's the God we serve so when we praise we look for those opportunities to celebrate what God has done in our lives okay if we're looking for definition all right and that worship flows from an understanding of who God is in relation to us. So before I move away from worship and put the rest of the time on praise, I want us to keep something in mind. Specifically in the Western church. We have fully embraced, and there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, the understanding that God has said we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And that is good and well, and we must do that. But I want us to keep in mind, all of the writers that the Holy Spirit inspired to write Scripture, if you take a look at their interaction when they truly came face to face with Yahweh, there was a response that they had. And if you will, look with me at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, number 1. And it says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That reaction is is one of, wow, I am dust. There is a recognition of the fact that He, His ways and His thoughts are far above ours. And I think it's humbling to come to that place of worship when it's like, you are great and you want to commune with me. That builds up that that understanding that we can come boldly before the throne. When we have a recognition, a healthy recognition of who God is. And I think that that worship is the foundation for a healthy fear of the Lord. I think that that is something that is needed in our culture today. Something that is not necessarily emphasized. But we need that healthy fear of the Lord. It shapes the way we we read this. It shapes the way we want to be rather than just hearers, doers of this. Because we have a healthy understanding and fear of its author. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, now that we have... uh, foundational understanding of worship let's take a look at praise when we when you look at the psalms all the majority of the psalms were written by david and if you look at the historical context of the psalms a lot of them were when it was he was in times of trouble when his son i can't imagine it i got my my little emmanuel i don't know if you guys have seen him with his locks all everywhere 
It would break my heart if there was a situation where he was pursuing me to kill me. I can't imagine it. There were times when when David was being pursued by Saul. But there were also mountaintop times for David. But in the midst of those things, those psalms we read, it's him crying out saying, you are, like we sang this evening, you are my rock, you are my shield. These come from a heart of a man who, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of of great comfort, um, provision, he found a way to praise God. He was celebrating the things that God had done for him. When you take a look at um, Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, that's Moses' song to God. That's, if you read that, it is a, a basically a culmination, a recounting of all the things that God had done for the people of Israel. So when we think of praise, it's that continual celebration of what God has done for us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And I want us to take a look at um, the fact that uh, the first piece, purposes of praise. Number one, praise is unifying. Praise is unifying. One of the foremost desires of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is that His bride, His people, be unified. That we walk in love. And I'll tell you this, God is not coming back for a bride who's just going to limp in like, we barely made it. He's coming back for a unified bride. He's coming back for those ten virgins, I mean those, those virgins who had their oils I mean, their lamps full of oil. He's coming back for those virgins who have and are operating in the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, they are operating in love. So praise is a unifying factor. That is a, if, if you're math people, I'm not. When I taught in the classroom, I taught English. I've often been intimidated by math. If you're a math person, I'm not. But I do understand common factors. Common factors are things that you can find, you can have different groups of people. You may have a different nationality. Um, you, our brothers and sisters in Africa. But if you, if you took those people, you had one observer go to those people, and then they came to the Ark Fellowship here, if they went to um, Praise Center in Calvert, there should be a unifying factor that they see, that the people there have praises on their lips for what God has done in their lives. That should be a unifying thing. Check out Acts 2, 46 through 47 with me. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Praising God. And having favor with all people. If you had gone, if you, if you were a Roman centurion and you stepped in the middle, that would be one of the things that you saw. Like, you know what? These guys are weird. All they were doing was just praising this God they keep thinking of. Or they keep speaking of. Does it make sense? Take a look at Psalm 22.3 with me. Psalm 22.3. It says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Now, I do not in any way embrace or adhere to a replacement theology. I do not. 
I believe that God's heart, that Israel is still the apple of God's eye. But I do believe God's word when it says that we have been grafted into that olive tree. I firmly believe that. And I am grateful. God still loves the people that the, the, the nationality of skin he chose to put on. That is the people of Israel. But he has grafted us in. And this verse right here says that, that he is seated. That he comes and, and one of the things, I'll be in the seat there, and I'm just like, will you, will you come and get some rest? I know you, you've been tired out there. People are broken, and you're still, you're working, working, working. Will you come and rest on our praises this morning? Will you come and rest? Come and be seated, be enthroned in our praises in this morning. You see what I'm saying? I cling to this. I cling to this like when things are rough for me and, th- and, and I feel broken, I'm like, if I just sing to you, I know you'll come hang out with me. Because I trust your word. You see what I'm saying? So praise is that unifying factor. It's something that should be seen within all of the people who cling to the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ. You know? All right. All right. Start crying up here. One of the things I like about that whole, um, that whole concept of God is enthroned in the praises of his people is the fact that God makes himself known to those who have a heart of thankfulness. He makes himself known. And, and that, that uh, hopefully I'll help, the Holy Spirit will help us tie that together as we go. Um, in that heart of thankfulness, the desire is to cultivate by the Holy Spirit. Remember that. It's not something you're trying to drum up on your own, but to cultivate a lifestyle of praise. I told you about that, um, that when I got that whole term, yada. And just to give you a little bit of background to help you understand the things I'll share with you this evening. I grew up in church age 2 to 14, um, a small Southern Baptist church. And then my, um, at age 14, I basically told my mom, I'm like, look, it's not doing you any good. Um, I did accept Christ as my Savior at age 8, and I firmly believe at that, po- at that time that I was a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. And if I cried out to him, he would save me. So I know that he did at that time. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But age 14, I was like, look, you, we go to church on Sunday and you come home and cuss us out Sunday afternoon. And you always, you know, you just look at church to go and get a love offering. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to church anymore and you can't make me. You know, that's what I said to my mom at age 14. And so from 14 to 21... I turned my back on God and I ignored him. But at 21, God got hold of me again. He changed up what was going on in my life. I got involved in a lot of stuff from age 14 to 21 over that seven-year span. And it's weird. I think Pastor was speaking of it. When you think biblical numerology, the number seven means completeness. It was almost as if God said, enough. I want you to come home, son. I changed up the things I was listening to. I was involved in the the whole rave scene, the techno music scene. And I, I had a friend that I worked with at Sam's Club. And I was like, hey, listen to this, Becca. And she's like, does it praise Jesus? I'm like, no, but it doesn't even have any words. It's just techno. She said, I'm good. I don't want to listen to it. And went back to what she was doing. I was, you, you kind of would feel like you'd be offended. Like, hold on, what? But I was, there was something to it. There was a purity. There was something I yearned for in her. Because she made purposeful choices 
of what she was going to consume. And she constantly consumed praise. And I'd hear at the, um, she was a cashier, here at the cash register, singing. And I was just like, I, I want that. So I really, I, I really, I got rid of all the CDs that I had. This was in the days of CDs. This was also at the time when you go to the library and check out CDs. I don't know if they still do that. But I checked out a double CD. It was Brooklyn Tabernacles, God is Working. And I, that's all I listened to for two or three weeks, solidly. And then I realized that's all I wanted to listen to. Totally changed it. But I had, I had a friend who invited me to this church. I would only go to a Southern Baptist church. He went to a Southern Baptist church. I was like, cool. God was messing with me so deeply. I sold my PlayStation. I had a hunger for his word. I was coming in. I worked two jobs and I would just read his word and just listen to Brooklyn Tabernacles. God is working. And that's, and it grew. The hunger in me grew for God's word, grew for praise. And I caught myself singing consistently. But I was still, there were still some things in my life. I hit the altar at that little Baptist church. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Baptist church. On this song, we stand up. On this song, we sit down. We sing the third and the fourth, or the second and the fourth uh, stanzas of this song. And boom, we do the offering. Preacher preaches. Give the altar call. God was messing with me so deeply that I hit the altar on the second song, weeping. And I said, I obviously can't quit these things in my life. I'm not leaving this spot until you take them from me. You are big enough to take them from me. I am putting them in your lap. I'm putting them on you. I'm not getting up from this spot until they're gone. Freak those people out, man, because I literally, the pastor, that was the second song. Pastor did the whole, they did the offering, the sermon. He was doing the altar call. When he was doing the altar call, I got up and I was like, I'm free free and the lie started as i went to walk out the the glass doors of the the back of the church it was like yeah as soon as you get that spaghetti dinner you don't want that cigarette yeah 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 for quite some time a very long time i'm not going to say that i never had struggles again but from that day to a probably about a seven-year window not a cigarette not anything in my life and God got hold to me in a major way because he was changing. I, had, um, I did not know about Strong's Concordance. Someone in that church told me about it. I was like, I wish someone had told me about this a little bit earlier. That I can get a deeper understanding by understanding the, the words that were originally written. And one of the first words I got hold to was, Yada. And so I would stand and I, would, I was sitting at the front of the church because just the way my brain works... I didn't want to, in my peripheral, if I see someone correcting their kids or doing something, I, I get distracted. So I would always sit up front so I, I didn't have to, I could focus on the pastor, focus on worship. And I would sit up front and then I just started standing every song. And I was like, it said, Yada means to raise your hands. And I'm saying this to say that not everyone will necessarily understand when you fully embrace a life of praise. Because I had about a, I would say she was in her early 70s one week she came up and she said look you don't come in here and try to change things up we don't do that i said ma'am i'm very sorry that it makes you feel that way i'm not doing anything to you but i'm going to stand and praise jesus because he took a lot of stuff from me he's good and i'm going to i'm going to raise my hands because of yada and she didn't know what i was talking about it's kind of <laughs> and it's and then the very next week and i don't know 
we were praying against factions last night. I don't know if the uh, older ladies, the mothers of the church got together and were like, you know, talk to her or something. But a lady about the same age came up. She said, baby, I thank you so much. You stand there and raise your hand. It makes me feel like I can praise Jesus. I said, well, girl, do it. Raise your hands and praise him. (laughs) You know, there was a development of praise happening in my life. Does that make sense to you? So it's that unifying factor. We develop as we develop a life of thankfulness. We develop a life of praise. As we develop a life of praise, we come very close and we move into that realm where we are truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Praise is powerful. The next point I'd like to share with us is that praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. Take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 14 with me. I don't remember if this is... Yeah, there it is. 2 Corinthians 10, 14 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. Oftentimes, we say that, Within the, within the church, and we say, oh, man, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But I'm one of those nosy people where I'm like, okay, well, what are the weapons? What are the weapons? I, get an, I do have an understanding that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and this is a spiritual warfare that's happening. But what are the weapons? I will tell you this. Praise is one of the... When I was in the military, um, we had what was called uh, U.S. Weapons Day. Um, Pastor Mike probably knows all about that's a fun day. That's where you blow up buses and stuff. And I believe that that I believe that um, uh, praise would be like the howitzer. Howitzer. When I was at Fort Bragg, they would they didn't even keep those on Fort Bragg, the Army base. The Marines came from Camp Lejeune where they kept them and brought them up, and they rocked the entire neighborhood for miles and miles around one shot. I believe praise is like that howitzer. It's, it's strong. And it's mighty. When I say for pulling down, for pulling down strongholds, I've, I've, I've seen it happen. And I'll share something with you in, um, in a moment. Um, let's look at some biblical examples. Um, Pastor spoke Sunday of the walls of Jericho falling. And the means by which those walls fell was the Israelites' obedience to God's direction to praise Him. The blowing of those horns was a symbol of strength. We are, we are attributing strength to Yahweh. And those walls fell. Take a look at Psalms, uh, Psalms 56.4 with me. Psalm 56.4. Psalm 56.4 says, In God I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Praise will embolden you. Praise will embolden you. The more you praise, remember, we're going to keep that healthy recognition You're you're amazing. You're far above. I'm going to honor you and fear you. Now I'm going to praise you for the things that I see you doing in my life. And that's going to embolden me 
to the fact that to the point that I can boldly go to the throne of God in that process as we follow that process. And I think that praise is going to be one of those tools, pastors in a new series. And it's just just at work. And where I work, it's like a small city every day. There's about 3,200 students, um, approximately 400 staff members. And I, I'm walking these halls now, and I'm like, violent faith. What would that look like for these kids? I stand in these masks. I will say this. Everybody hates these masks. It keeps me from looking insane. I've got the mask on. And I'm praying in spirit. And I can do it. No one sees it. I don't come off as a crazy man. It's beautiful. But I'm praying and I'm like, God, there is nothing to stop you from saving every single soul in this building. And just because I've imagined that, you can do above and beyond that. You can reach their families. They can take your Holy Spirit into their home. Praise is a weapon. Y'all don't make me forget what I was saying. Oh, yeah. I honestly believe that as what Pastor has been saying in that emphasis on violent faith, I believe that praise will embolden us and bring us to that place to where we not only embrace a violent faith, but we walk in it, apply it to our personal lives, and use it in the realms in which God has placed us. A violent faith produced by an emboldening praise. All right, so when we're looking at praise as a weapon, let's look at some biblical examples. I don't want to share anything with you that's just my thoughts. Take a look at Jeremiah 51, uh, 10 through 11 with me. Jeremiah 51, 10 through 11. Jeremiah 51, 10 through 11 says, The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come, Let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord. Notice first and foremost what we're doing. We're just focusing on the work of the Lord and what He's done in our lives. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for His plan is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for His temple. God says that He is a jealous God. And he will take vengeance for his temple. Here's the beauty of this. And I, forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am. God will take vengeance for us, for you. Because he's now said that he's made. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? He is a mighty God who wants to take vengeance over the things that would destroy you over the things that would destroy your family. And where does it start? Let me read it again. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Where do we find our righteousness? In coming and letting us declare the works of the Lord in Zion. Wow. Yeah. So we praise Him by declaring His mighty works as preparation for spiritual battles. Let's get another example. Take a look at 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17 through 22 with me. 2 Chronicles 20, 
verse 17 through 22. It's a little long. Bear with me. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground at worship. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord, recognizing how high He is. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of his holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, look what happens. The Lord set ambushes. Who set the ambushes? Who set them? The Lord set ambushes against the people of Em and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. My question to us tonight, church family, are we willing to let the Lord set the ambushes against those things, those situations, those spiritual wickedness in high places that would come against us, that would come against our family? And to hearken back to what pastor, what God has laid on pastor's heart, What's really under attack is your faith. Are we willing to let God set ambushes against those things that would come against our faith? If so, we must praise Him. I'm going to hurry. I, I feel like this is really important to tell you. My first encounter with spiritual warfare. So, it was basically just church, age 2 through 14. I got serious, and, and God, by His Holy Spirit, went out, left the 99. You guys were grazing. Everybody was all right. He came and found me because I lost my way. He put me back on His shoulder, and He brought me home. I was that prodigal. He brought me home, put a robe on me, put a ring on my finger, said, I welcome you home. Here's the fatted calf. In about, I would say it was about 2000 because my niece had been born. She was probably seven, eight months, nine months. And I went home to visit. I was working in North Carolina as a teacher, so I would take the summers, go back home. Um, I had a, there was a, one of my friend's dads adopted me when I was 15 because my home life was really bad. And so I ignored my family, my mom and my sister and the projects of Alabama. I ignored them because I was building a different life for myself. And when I go home to Alabama, I still have my dad's house that I can go and stay in. Very nice home. At that time, my mom and sister were still in the projects. I don't know if you know anything about the project. It's not pretty. It was roach infested. It was bad. And I went home to stay, and I was deeply in God's Word. I was praising. And God said, I want you to go stay with your mom and Stephanie. I said, ooh, you seen them roaches though, God? (laughs) And it was bad. So I I was like, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. So I went. I took an anti-gravity recliner we had. 
on our deck. I was like, I, I'm not going to sleep on that couch because I know what goes on underneath that couch. I said, but I'm going to go. I don't want to go. This was a sacrifice for me because I had the option of being in comfort and ease. But they needed God. They didn't need me. They needed God. And so the first night I was there, I was like, you know, hey, Mom. And I painted it in such a way that I wanted them to feel, I just want to come hang out. Can I stay with you tonight? I painted in a way because I wanted her to feel special. That night it got really heavy. The baby was crying, was antsy. My mom began a tirade around 2 o'clock in the morning, began a tirade of vile profanity, shouting curse words. It got really bad to the point that she stripped her clothes off, walked out the back door and was pulling at her hair and urinating down her legs and screaming. top of her lungs and I said well that's demonic and I was like I don't know what to do and all I heard in my spirit was sing to me praise me sing to me I took a towel and I walked outside I said mama you got to come back in you got to come back in I said please put some clothes on she put some clothes on while she was getting dressed I just knelt at the edge and put my elbows on the bed I don't remember the songs I sang but I kept singing them she's like what are you doing I said, Mama, will you sing with me? No. She lay down in the bed, and, I, and I'd sing a song, pause, and I said, Mama, will you, will you sing with me, Mama? She got to the point to where the cursing stopped, but her mouth was like she couldn't open it. Her eyes, she shut her eyes and refused to look at me. But her foot, she was laying there on her side, and her foot was just going. God said, keep singing to me praising me. And I wish that I knew at that time how to truly fight spiritual warfare. I didn't know that it was time as I continue to praise, it's now time to tell that demon, you no longer have authority or place in my mother, you must go now. I didn't know that at that time. But I do believe that at that moment, because of what happened, it stopped something really bad from happening. From her and my sister getting into a physical altercation. But it also put her on the path to where instead of going to churches, it was a game. It was a shell game. We'd go to this church and tell them we need a love offering. Go to this church and we need a love offering. To the point that she walked into one church and said, they said, ma'am, how can we help you? She said, I just need prayer. And her life turned around and it's better for her now. It's better for her now. So I'm telling you, praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. Um, the next section is uh, the sacrifice of praise. And Hebrews 13, 15, um, just real quick, Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, by Him, that is Jesus Christ, let us continual, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. The term sacrifice refers to something that it costs us something to give. It's easy to praise God when you have those mountaintop experiences. But let me tell you, it is in those dark moments that we choose to praise that we develop a testimony. And I hope that we'll be able to see that's the, that's the cornerstone, that's the core of what I really want to get to. Is Praise is one of the central ways of guiding us to a testimony, to having a reason to lift our hands. Okay? 
If you look at Job, I'm, I'm not going to go to it and read it. Um, you can go to the scripture, Job uh, chapter 1, 20 through 22. Um, if you know this story, this particular piece where he says this, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the Lord. I'm sorry, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God, charge God with wrong. I'll say this, and um, at age, I was 31. Um, my wife and I were pregnant with our first child. And four months in, about four months in, um, I was teaching and they never let a phone call come into the classroom, ever. And the phone call came in, and I answered it. I was like, hello? And it was my midwife. She said, Michael, you need to get here now. Courtney's losing the baby. I was like, no, I, I don't think I hung up the phone. I just left. I went to my assistant principal. I said, my, my wife? And she said, go. We'll get someone to cover your class. I left immediately. It was about a 15-minute drive to my midwife's office from um, the school at which my wife and I taught. I probably made it in about eight minutes. The whole way, I'm like, God, I trust you. I trust you. This isn't really happening. You can save this child. I trust you. I believe you. I get there, and my wife, now that we have two children, I know what was happening. She was um, vocalizing. She was moaning. She was, had her elbows on the, the table. And I said, Donna, we can save her. She said, no. She said, it's not going to happen. She said, you need, I said, what do I do? She said, you need to comfort her right now. So I shored up everything I had, and I was going to comfort her. She said, you massage her back, yada, yada, yada. Ultimately, my wife passed that child. And I remember, I know my neighbors thought I was crazy because I spent a lot of time in our gated backyard like this, talking, just like God. But everybody was, was giving prophecies about this kid. You said it was going to happen. I just, I knew it was going to happen. What's up? What's up, God? And then I grabbed, we had a little gate, a little metal gate, and I'm pretty sure there's a bend in it. I grabbed that gate and I said, I still trust you. You've never let me down. I still trust you. And then we had Emmanuel and Selah. <laughs> and if you've ever had any interaction with them, man, they, they are healthy. We were timid the whole way. But it was in that moment. It was not a mountaintop moment. I had promises. In four months, you can build a lot of hopes and dreams on a child that you're expecting. And to have those come crashing down, it would be very easy, and many people have fallen to that. Where we let that as an avenue for the, the enemy to come in and to destroy our faith and hit our faith and hit it. But to develop a testimony, to say even when it hurt, I told him I trusted him and he came through for me. That's the development of a testimony. Check out Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 with me. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. It says, The Lord is good. And you find that out in those moments where it hurts. And you still say, soul, we're going to get up and praise Him. There were many times that David, when you hear him say, I said to my soul, soul, 
we will praise Him. Those are not easy moments. That's where it's like my flesh doesn't want it. This hurts. I want to wallow in my pain. He says to his soul, no soul, we're going to get up and we're going to praise Him. That's when you find out that, like Nahum 1 says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And He knows those who trust Him. As we praise Him, we get to know Him. And Daniel tells us that those who know their God will do great exploits. You get to know Him as you praise. We get to know Him as the Lord is good when we praise. And just uh, let me um, close out with a couple of things here. Revelation 12, 11. That will be the last scripture we go to. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. And I'm very... To me, it's very important to have context. I don't want to just take a scripture, apply it, and say, well, that's what it means. I want to know the context. The, The specific context of that verse is the revelation that was given to John about those who truly know their God overcoming the Antichrist. But I I firmly believe that even now, the coupling of the shed blood of Jesus Christ with a testimony can overcome those spiritual wickedness in high places, the warfare that's going on even now. Truly, this applies to the overcoming of the Antichrist. But also it applies to spiritual battles we may be facing now. So to have a testimony... Praise is one of the cornerstone ways of developing a testimony. As we have that testimony, it will help us overcome. And I want to say I'm very thankful for what God has put on Pastor's heart. God has put on Pastor's heart that we should have, we should be biblically literate at the Ark Fellowship. That our kids should not just be singing little songs and tap dancing and playing, but they need to know God's Word. And I envision and I see the kids being able to go on little trips where they, they, they reach out to those guys who are asking for stuff under the bridge. They're there. Hey, can we pray for you? Can we lay hands on you? Casting out devils. Laying hands on for healing. Because here's what Barna, Barna, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Barna. They do consistent studies. In 2019, Barna said that 75% of professing teens leave home, go to college, and leave the faith. And I think the firm reason behind that is because they have not developed a testimony. They have not developed something that they can sing praises for because they've seen God move in a real way. It's just been playing church. So can we be people of praise? I want to leave you with one thing. Last night as we were praying... Um, Pastor Angela said we, we want to avoid, we want to make sure we avoid factions. We, we want to make sure that there's no cliques in our church. And I am in total agreement with her. The way you do that is everyone seeks to, to make moves and truly try to know other people who are sitting in here. You know what I'm saying? So I want to, I want to challenge us. This week, tonight is Wednesday. We have Wednesday to Sunday. Let's purposely look for something to praise Him for. And then I want to challenge me. 
because I'm very quick to, all right, got to go. I want to challenge me and I want to challenge us to reach out to someone. Let, if you're not comfortable with it, start with someone you do know. But reach out and tell them, hey, I want to just tell you, man, this is what God did in my life. If you don't see something specific this week, think of something that, is, that He's done for you before. But let's begin to vocalize that. Let's begin to tell people what God is doing so that we develop that testimony. Thank you so much. Pray with me if you will. Father God, you are so good to us. You are worthy to be praised. There is none like you. There is none like you. We thank you. We thank you. We praise you. I pray that you would have your way in my heart. Use this message to change me. Use this message to change my brothers and sisters here in the auditorium, those who are watching via the internet. Change us that the world would see you in us, in the way we love one another, in the unity that they see in us, that they might be yearned for you because they're lost and they're broken and they need you. They need you. (laughs) Use us to point them to you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.